If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah document ask questions it's really hard it's hard to ask your doctor questions because you don't know you know you don't know a thing they know everything meanwhile they don't know much either but you know a whole lot less and so how are you going to say like i know you're telling me x but it doesn't make sense okay guys welcome back to the grand america show coming at you from uh egypt on the tour bus here we're just finished our lunch we just came back from the assyrian which has been a crazy crazy experience over there could be the oldest one of the oldest things in the world for sure if not the oldest at least that we know about and we're going to be chatting with david richmond a little bit later about the cycle of lives so this intro will be short and sweet it's hot on the bus and we've got some things doing a bunch of people inside but uh we figured we'd come at you we get this episode out even though we're on the road we're still getting the podcast out uh grammar.ca slash support so we're what do you remember what the name name of this town is it's Abydos. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, and we just came from, took like a three or four hour bus ride to uh, from Luxor to here to see like a sort of a newer temple, I guess, Seti the first, and then the older structure underneath, or what we think sort of, not underneath, but near it, called the Osirian Complex, I guess it's called, or something like that. Yeah, megalithic. Like, it's amazing to see it in person. And uh, yeah, we wanted to shout out uh, to all the friends in the UK who we met on the way the UK posse. Um, yeah, we had a nice little meetup at a pub. I forget what the pub was called. I know it was from like the sixth of oh, the White Horse pub. Yeah, it was the 16th century it was made. We ended up getting kicked out for smoking weed. Actually, it was hash. We got kicked out for smoking hash. Darren's getting kicked out everywhere he goes. We, there's a bet going on. I think uh, three three days is the over-under for him to get in some official trouble. And he's Today's trying. Day. He's trying. Today's day two, I think, of that. Today's day three. Uh, Chuck says he has day five. Oh, does he? Okay. So, yeah, we wanted to give a shout-out to Shannon Graham and his son Aaron, uh, Rob, James, and Anthony, people that we met. Um, I feel like I'm missing someone there. No, and, uh, yeah, we met them in the U.K. It was fantastic. We also had a, enough time just to whip up to Windsor before we headed out to Egypt. And then there's some other news, too. Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock came out with their – well, Graham Hancock came out with his Ancient Apocalypse on, YouTube, on uh, Netflix – Randall's on episode eight, I believe, the last one, which is where he's he shows a bit of the Scablands. That's where we do the tours with Randall. And we have uh, two pages on Eventbrite now. You can reach uh, reach them by contactofthecabin.com. There's Scablands with Randall and what's the other one? Montana Mega Floods with Randall as well. So there's still spots open for touring with Randall in the spring and fall next year. Yeah, that's right. We switched. Those are the first two pages to go to Eventbrite. Eventually, that whole thing was. But, of course, that doesn't change anything on your guys' ends. You guys just go to contactatthecabin.com, like you always have, and click on whichever event you're looking for, and uh, it'll it'll navigate you wherever you're going to go, and it'll take care of all that. So, yeah, uh, I guess we're going on the, the boat. we got a boat. We'll cruise up the Nile. Mo says he's going to be get me a fishing rod so I can try catching some fish out of the Nile. 
should be a good time. London was great. The drive. I, I see your point now about maybe not being able to drive around there as quick as I thought. Country, country roads are amazing. I don't want you to get that country road feel. It's crazy. It's crazy. There was multiple times I thought we were going to get in a head-on collision, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, we should do a contact at the castle one of these days. It would be fun. This is the first time I've traveled this far. It's a long way to be from the kids and from a girl and everyone else. I mean, that's the, the time changes of a bit of a mess. It took me five days to get used to this time change. I think last night was the first night that it felt like nighttime. I'll probably get fully used to it just in time to go home. How did you sleep good yesterday yet? No, part way. I'm only getting part part time sleeps. Sometimes you're waking me up in the middle of the night, coming home. Sometimes I just wake up on my own. But it's hard to sleep full a full night. I went out one night. I didn't even go out. We were just in the lobby. <laughs> you should have been out too. Did I wake you up? I don't see how I could have wake you up. I just walked in and went straight to sleep. Slam, slam, slam. Door, slam, slam. Anyways, um, should we, what do do we want to talk about now? Do you have anything else we want to mention? Well, I mean, we still have the support problem. You know, support is lower than it has been in a long time with all the PayPal stuff. We lost, you know, probably 15% of our PayPal supporters over the whole PayPal fiasco. And only a few percent of those signed back up from Stripe. So uh, we need support more than ever. GrandAmerica.ca slash support if you can, when you can. Um, I mean, it seems weird to say that when we're coming at you from Egypt, but this is work for us. We got, you know, we were part of the tour program and stuff like that. So, we, you know, we love it. We feel very uh, honored to be here, but we still need support. Graham is doing this full time. If he doesn't get support, then he's going to have to go back to work. And, you know, I don't see that being something he's thrilled to do anytime soon. GrahamAmerica.ca slash support. If you guys can sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation. If you don't want to do that, maybe head over to Graham America Outlaw, check out that podcast. Maybe you'll like that and sign up for Plus, or there's the audio books over at adultbrain.ca. Whatever you can do to help support us. Uh, like I say, this whole PayPal thing and everything else and the inflation, we get it. It's tough out there. And if you can't afford to support us, we fully understand that. And we love you just for listening. But if you can, and you've been thinking about supporting for a while and you just haven't got around to it, it is pretty important that you do get around to that. HeavenGrimmerica.ca slash support. Sign up today. Contact at thecabin.com for all the events and tours. Uh, anything else? No, I can just read a quick uh, bio for David if, if you want to. Yeah, we'll keep it short and sweet. I think what we want to do is, you know, not do a full wrap-up show from a bus. What we'll do is we'll get through the event here. We'll get you some short intros for the couple shows while we're in Egypt. And then when we get back, I think we'll probably end up just doing a full Egypt wrap-up show without a guest type thing. And we'll we'll figure it out that way. We'll find a way to get you guys, you know, maybe some pictures or something like that. Well, so the, we're posting some pictures in our Telegram and in our... Instagram, Ground's putting pictures on the Instagram. So if you follow our socials, you can see some pictures there. But I think when we get back and settled and adjusted to the normal time change again, I think we'll sit down on a Sunday and we can do a full hour, hour and a half and just talk about our impressions of all this stuff and give it some time to sink in. It's still super fresh. I mean, we're at the, we were literally walking around the Assyrian like an hour and a half ago. Yeah, we're definitely with an amazing tour group here. Um, Yusuf and Ben from Uncharted X and, Yusuf's uh, tour company is uh, the Kemet School of Mysticism, I believe. And I mean, it's, it, you know, he's right along sort of our thinking, right? Very open-minded, talking about all different kinds of theories and stuff. But it really focuses on sort of ancient technology and sort of the difference between these ages that isn't really accepted 
in the mainstream. So we're looking at like different sort of um, mechanical marks on stuff and the way they smoothed out some of these megalithic stones and the difference between those structures and the and the ones from the dynasties. Yeah, I wanted to mention that 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 Assyrian has some real evidence of that smooth smooth smoothing stuff, smooth blah, blah, blah. stone smoothing stuff that the Snake Bros were talking about in that unfinished That's episode that we did. So you really want to check out that unfinished show because seeing this stuff with your own eyes, it makes it. And we've even got Chucky on board with uh, our geologist is starting to come around to this because we've seen some other stuff and in the other direction this time we've seen some cool column based stuff. So. I'm uh, the coming out here and seeing it in real life has me more convinced than ever that those guys are onto something. Right on. Two minutes. And then, um, so his uh, just a quick little bio for David here. Um, he, we get into uh, we get into the um, his his background and all it in the show, but um, his most recent adventure was a nearly five thousand mile solo bike ride across the country in which he visited. Most of the participants for his upcoming book, well, his book is out now, chronicling 15 people's remarkable and unique emotional journeys with cancer. He's a businessman, corporate and motivational speaker, personal consultant, and author of Cycle of Lives and Winning in the Middle of the Pack. And he's also, you know, he's an endurance athlete too. He talks about about his, his uh, shift, his life shift into that. Right on. It was a great chat. It was a great chat uh, with David, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Other than that, enjoy it. Let us know what you think, and follow us on those socials. Thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here with both of you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're glad to have you here. It's uh, it's very it's a topic that's. I mean, you know, we'll be talking about different things, but mainly your your book, Cycle of Lives, and about mm-hmm. cancer. And it's a topic that's close to actually probably most people's hearts, as you probably found out. But yeah, um, close to mine for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Your book was pretty emotional. I didn't get through the whole book, but I but what I did do, yeah, man, a couple chapters uh, about your chapters about your experience. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah well, thanks man thanks for taking some time i mean yeah, look, yeah. you know we were just talking about like all the millions of podcasts out there there's millions of books that come out every year right and so anytime anybody takes time to read even part of it i think it's pretty awesome so thank you well i like the way you put it together because it's kind of got you narrating um yourself right um mm-hmm. you narrating you know your journey across the country but then also interspersing like real real stories about cancer so i mean we'll get into all that we'll get into like how sure. you started that and everything but yeah i like the way you did it it was a, it was a good good book well thank you uh the format actually was um 
it, it's kind of funny because it, it it it's indicative of one of the things that I discovered on the on the journey of writing the book was the format wasn't going to be that way, right? Um, because what what makes the book so I think kind of amazing is everybody I spoke to and they had these like ridiculously crazy amazing stories right everybody I spoke to like they kind of started out going eh, I don't know why we're talking you know my story's not that interesting or whatever you know like all right I'll talk to you but really I mean you know it's not that interesting so I I, I end up interviewing these people for a couple of years right and then I, I I write the book and I send it to my editor and she's like. Uh, yeah, you got a problem with this book. And I go, what? And she goes, well, two problems. One, she goes, your, your chapters are all written like with you interviewing these people. And by the way, you don't belong in their lives, right? Their story is not about you. Like you need, you need to take yourself out of their lives, right? Cause their story is their story. I go, okay. I go, what's the other thing? And she goes, you know, you did this like 5,000 mile bike ride. You got this whole thing about your sister and everything. You should write about that. And I go, yeah, my story is not that interesting. I don't think anybody will get anything because that's what everybody thinks. You're just living your life, right? You don't think it's that interesting, but, um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So what I did is I just put a little bit about the bike ride and, and, you know, my, my journey with, with, you know, the emotions of cancer interspersed between these 15 stories. I think oh, all the 15 stories are amazing. Yeah. Well, it comes across like it was built for that, that fa- <laughs> uh, format. So that's good. Yeah. Thanks to a good editor. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into your background a little bit then. Yeah. I mean, you've you've obviously got experience long distances, con- mm-hmm. considering you went uh, how many miles across the states and pretty quick. We need miles or kilometers. Which which well, one? I, just I can do just, both. We go with both. We go with both up here. Uh, so I did nearly five thousand miles, which is like eight eight point yeah. five thousand k, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So you've got some endurance experience, I'm sure, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't didn't start out that way for me, but but I have over the last twenty years or so. Um, it, it started out for me uh, doing endurance stuff when I was thirty nine, and I just kind of had a wake up call. Like you know how like, like sometimes somebody could tell you something, or a hundred different people could tell you the same thing, but you don't hear it until like the hundred and first person tells you. You know, and I, I just lived my life knowing that I was unhealthy and not really paying attention to myself at 39. I'm like, somebody just told me like, dude, you got to like, look out for yourself. Cause you got a lot of problems and you're pretty much the cause of all of them. You better start fixing them. And I'm like, huh? So at that Who point, I was that? 39 years. What's that? Who told you that? A good buddy of mine, like I, I was literally the most stressed out I'd ever been in my personal life, right? I'm 60 pounds overweight. I'm completely stressed out. I'm married to an abusive alcoholic and I'm, and I got four year old twins. I got to protect. And it's just like, a, I'm just a freaking wreck. Right. And I'm complaining to my friend, Chris, I'm like, dude, like, you know, I mean, all these people and all this bad problems and all this stress and blah, 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 blah. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, he goes, you're the problem. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I'm ready to take the guy to the mat, right? And he goes, no, no, seriously, man. He says, like, you walk around and every little problem, every little bad person, you, like, pick it up like it's a wild animal. And you figure if you take it home and you feed it and you clean it and you be nice to it, that when you go to pet, it's not going to bite you. And then you go pet it and it bites you and you're like, what the heck? He goes, you know, why don't you worry about you? Why don't you figure out why you're trying to find all these wild animals to pet instead, instead of like complaining about the wild animal, why don't you fix yourself? And I was like, 
wow, I never really heard that before. Maybe I might be the whole problem. So, so that's, that's, that's how that conversation happened. Wow. It happened to me at 38 and two of my good friends told me I should, I got to get my fucking shit together. And like, I had never heard that before from anyone because I hid, I hid all my problems so well, I guess with those two guys and my sister knew something was up with me and she tried to talk to me, but I avoided her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I remember that now as being like, those were sort of unconscious catalysts there to like me getting better, you know? Yeah. But you, you, you knew that stuff before you heard it before, but you just didn't know it till you knew it. Right. And I was like very successful in business. I was running a hundred million dollar in revenue division for a major wall street firm. You know, I, I, if you looked at me from the outside, you think, man, that dude has shit together. Okay. Maybe he's not healthy. Maybe he's, you know, he's a smoker and he's, you know, he's probably not making the best decisions in his personal life or whatever. But honestly, I mean, that guy's got his stuff together, but boy, did I not have my stuff together. And um, when I, when I, when, you know, my buddy said like, dude, why don't you look in the mirror and fix that, fix that problem. I was like, oof. Well, I never thought of it that way. Right. I just never thought of it that way. I always thought like, man, I, like I got a, I got a mountain to climb. I'll go climb it. I got to hold a dig out of, I'll, I'll get out of it. I just never thought I was the mountain or I was a hole, you know? So what'd you do to get out of it then? Um, I'm kind of writing about that right now uh, as a as a guest uh, a writer for another book. And, and for uh, the first thing I had to do was be honest with myself and go, OK, like you haven't ever stopped to look in a mirror like ever. But, you know, not 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 literal, not figurative, but both. Like I never did any self-reflection, never did any self-care, just freaking plowed through whatever issue was the issue of the day, whatever bad relationship I was in or whatever problem I had, I just fought through it. And I just, step one for me, like the first thing I had to do was literally look in the mirror and, dude, if you ever, like, get naked and stand in front of a mirror and have a heart-to-heart with yourself, it's pretty humbling. Like, you know, I, 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 you know, I was 60 pounds overweight. I was very unhealthy. I was completely miserable. I didn't let anybody know it. Right. I never, ever felt any self-worth. I, I, I always looked to other people to give me validation. You know, I, 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 I chased the things that I thought I was supposed to chase, not the things I wanted to. Right. And, and I just made this whole inventory of all these things like, okay, I got some good qualities. I should lean into those. I got some bad ones. I should probably become aware of it and stop living in denial or stop like trying to fake my way through life and just be real authentic and grounded. And so that was the first thing I did. And then, you know, it kind of sunk into me after this conversation with my friend, like, all right, maybe I heard it. Maybe I knew it, but I didn't know it until then. So the next thing I had to do was just like, let it go. Like, just, just free your mind. Like, just, just let it go. Like, forgive yourself. Right. Cause you didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew it. And it's like, you know, I mean, once you, once you have an awareness of something, especially as important as trying to be healthy or living an intentional life or living with purpose or being a good dad or any of these like really wonderful things, once you kind of know, then you got to act on it. Right. I didn't know until then. I just didn't. And and you got to just forgive yourself, you know? Yeah. So what did you change then after that? Like physically or. Yeah. I just started. That's, that's what led me to endurance athletics. I just started by saying like, dude, you can't smoke and swim at the same time. Right. <laughs> you can't, yeah. I mean, you could try, but it's certainly not going to work out too well. 
And then, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't really run and, and bike and swim and be healthy. So I said, well, I'm yet be, be unhealthy. So I just started to do those things. And after, you know, my whole life of not being active, I mean, dude, I couldn't, I literally couldn't run down the street, right? I couldn't run, I couldn't run two minutes. It wasn't possible. And I said, all right, well, you got to start somewhere, man. So I ran two minutes and then about a week later, I was able to work up to about a mile and then uh, about six weeks after I quit smoking, I did a 5K, then a 10K, you know, and then I did a triathlon and then a half Ironman. And like seven, eight months later, I did a full Ironman. And I was like, well, all right, let's see what you can do. And and so I started doing more and more and 50 mile runs, 100 mile runs, you know, two day runs, you know, 500 mile bike rides, you name it. I just wanted to see like if I leaned into being healthy and I leaned into like doing something that I wanted to do, what could I accomplish? And I realized that, man, if you put your mind to it, you could pretty much accomplish whatever the heck you want to. I went from not smoke, I mean, from not being active and smoking and being overweight to within a couple of years being able to do, I, I literally thought I was at the, like, this would be an athlete. I literally woke up one day, guys, and went, I think I'm going to go run 50 miles today. Are you still overweight? Yeah. That's a long way to run, dude. Yeah, that's like some David Goggins shit. That's like, I could probably run two miles. What's the Not top speed. You don't know who David Goggins is? Joe one of Joe Rogan's guests or whatever? Yeah, there you go. A little yeah. mainstream guy. I mean, a very interesting, very inspirational guy. But And he kind of says, you know, like... He talks about going through bud training with the seals and, 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 you know, like running these ultra marathons and doing all this kind of just completely ridiculous stuff. And I mean, stuff that I would look at ridiculous, but running 50 miles is pretty ridiculous to me. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I've run a lot longer than that, but that, what I thought was like, what if I just rolled out of the rack, put my f shoes on one day and said, okay, I'm gonna go run 50 miles. If you could be in that kind of shape, that's stupid. Right. I mean, that's just stupid. And so from where I came to that was like, you know, like you build self-worth, you, you, you build a little reliance, you, you know, you kind of say like, okay, I mean, nobody can force a guy who's a slow runner to go run 50 miles and get something out of it unless the guy running wants to do it. And I'm like, it's kind of addictive to do things you want to do instead of doing things you think you have to do, or I could care less. I, I mean, honestly, right now I'm like 95% cured of caring about what other people think. And, and I don't mean like being an asshole about it. I mean, like not defining who I am by the way I think other, other people are measuring me, you know, like, cause that can happen in the corporate world. It can happen in relationships, you know, especially if you're, if you're a bad picker. And so I kind of was like drawn and, and, and addicted to the idea of how, how about I just care about what the guy in the mirror thinks, you know? And so that that's pretty cool. So that's the, for me, that just, it just kind of helped cure me of a lot of my problems. Are you trying to get to a hundred percent? Yeah, I don't know. I like, mean, do you feel like you, there's more work to do? Cause I, I love that. I love that philosophy and, and getting to that point. Yeah. I always think there's, there's more work to do. Like, um, like I, I uh, how do I say this? I don't have anything in common with somebody that's got it already figured the whole thing figured out. Like, dude, like, really? You got everything figured out? Well, then just, like, go up to a cave on a mountainside and, and meditate for the rest of your life. Because, like, really? You can't you can't learn anything? 
And so I don't think I'm ever a hundred percent of anything. And, and that really, um, it really sunk in one of the very first uh, events that I ever did. Let me tell, tell you a super quick story. One of the very first events that I ever did. And I was still like barely along this, the start of being uh, an endurance athlete was in, in, in the state of Georgia, South, South, Southeast United States, state of Georgia. They have this race. It's 87 mile rollerblade race. Okay. <laughs> Now, first of all, you don't want to see a guy like me on rollerblades. I'm not very coordinated. And second of all, 87 miles, that's like, you know, 130K or some some nonsense on rollerblades. Yeah, that's hard. You, they, your feet get and your ankles. Your, yeah, stupid. Yeah, it, yeah. it was completely stupid. And about like 30 miles into it, I am done, man. I hit the wall. I knew nothing about endurance athletics. I knew nothing about any of this stuff. And about 30 miles in... I'm absolutely a hundred percent worked it. I got to be the last guy. I'm only ahead of the sag wagon. You know, the, they, they, they pick you up cause you're too slow and take you to the finish line. That, that's the only thing behind me. And at 31 miles, I'm like leaning over on my knees and I'm sweating this white sweat. Cause I'm just salty. I'm so dehydrated and I, and my legs have stopped moving and I'm just, I'm like done. And I go, okay, dude, like seriously, you can do, two things you can either go home and that's fine like go home and meditate for the rest of your life because you already know everything like you learned everything about yourself you hit every limit you know exactly what you're made of i mean heck how many people could rollerblade 31 miles after just quitting smoking a few months ago okay so i'm like all right i got it right that's a good feeling i said or you know what dude what if you just like literally like take one more step you're going to learn something new about yourself. And if you take another step, you're going to learn something new and something new and something new. And it became like this learning thing. And like six and a half hours later, I made it to the finish line. And I learned like a thousand different things about myself. Maybe some of them are in totally insignificant, but they were, it was like this, like, wow, man, like I, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just trying to learn like when to give up, when not to give up, when to push, how to push, like how you interact with things, you know, how you could be better at stuff. And so anytime I, I, I look at, you know, am I at a level that I should be at? I go, can you take one more step? Can you learn something new? And so that pretty much permeates my entire life is that, that attitude of, I don't think I'm a hundred percent of knowing anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So, so how did you go from uh, from that endurance to deciding to ride across the country? Then, I mean, I know that's the big part of the story, but yeah. Um, so, a couple of weeks into this, like awareness that my buddy gave to me, right? About a couple of weeks in, I I I made this like mental inventory of my positives and negatives, and I was just like, wow, man, like you're on the first few intentional steps of a, of a, of, of your life. Like you got this journey that's ahead of you. It's miles and miles long. Right. And I just thought like, this is really cool. And I was pretty jazzed by that. And then within that same time frame, I got a call from my sister who I was very close to. She's only 16 months difference in age. And we'd had a pretty traumatic childhood. And so we knew each other really well, right? We were really close. And she had called me up and said, listen, I, I got to tell you, I got uh, terminal brain cancer. And so when I'm looking at, I got a big journey, big, long journey ahead of me. She's like, well, you know, she's, she's living her best life. She's happily married, she's two kids, great circle of friends, you know, just everything's working for her. And, and now her journey is going to be very short. 
And I, I was really taken by that. So um, that's kind of where it started because um, I noticed, and, and we were pretty good at it. I'm not going to say we were perfect at it. I'm not going to say everybody else was terribly imperfect at it, but I noticed that people were really good about dealing with the tasks around cancer. You know, like if it was a doctor, how do you get care? How do I get my patient information? How, how do I help them navigate the healthcare system? If it's the patient, they're really good at like, oh shit, man, I got to got to deal with work. How do I get my kids seen? You know, like how do I get my kids taken care of? You know, like how do I, you know, they were good about like the tasks of it, you know, or you could drop off a casserole to a friend's house or, you know, go clean their car while they're, while they're, you know, you could do stuff. But when it came to talking about the emotional side of the cancer experience, especially if it involved potentially terminal diagnoses that, that, it was very, very, very common that people were not comfortable having the hard discussions about the emotional side of it. And I was kind of drawn to that. I'm like, why? Like, why, why is it easier to ring the doorbell and leave a basket of food than to go in with a box of Kleenex and say, listen, bro, how are you feeling? You know? And so I wanted to figure that that out. And that's what led me to this this project. And, and as part of the project, I, I did the bike ride. We can talk about that, too. Yeah, yeah. So can you give us some examples of what you mean by talking emotionally about it? Like are talking about the mortality of it, the fear of dying, like the fear of losing your loved ones, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I'll tell you in a story you could probably relate to. Right. So uh, I'm in, I'm on the bike ride. So the, the people that I had in, interviewed for the book, I talked to at this point for a couple of years, like I, most of them I talked to for a couple of years, getting super, super, super deep into their stories, understanding their, uh, adolescent, young adult, even childhood traumas, how those traumas had lived with them their whole lives and they hadn't reconciled. Most of them hadn't reconciled most of those traumas. Then when they get to the point where they're dealing with something like cancer as a caregiver, as a loved one, whatever, as a patient, um, how do those traumas affect their ability or inability to connect with others in their lives about but about the emotional thing. So a perfect example of that is I'm on, on the bike ride. I start in California. I'm in New Mexico. So I'm like maybe eight or 10 days into the bike ride. And my buddy is with me and he's got this huge Mexican American family living in New Mexico. And he's like, dude, my family, you know, they've really been touched by cancer. They really want to talk to you and, and have you come, come to brunch. So I said, yeah, sure. I'll go to brunch. So I get there and his dad, like this 85 year old dude, man, he pulls me aside. He goes, Hey, yeah, listen, man, I really think what you're doing is so important. Like, you know, I, I went through cancer and, you know, 12 years ago and man, to be able to talk about the emotional side of it is so important. It's such, such a valuable thing. And I said, Oh, thank you, sir. And whatever. And as I'm getting ready to sit down, my buddy's sister grabs me. And she's like, you know, like, man, I had stage three breast cancer, you know, double mastectomy. I used to be a nurse, but, you know, knowing how rough it is for patients, I became a, a patient advocate. I now am a lobbyist in, uh, for, for cancer rights. And I'm like, damn. And she goes, yeah, this book where, you know, you're talking about the emotional side of it. It's so important for people to connect about it like that. And she goes, you know, it's really amazing. And so we eat our brunch, we do whatever. And I get ready to stand up and leave. And I go. All right, I'll give my little speech. And I go, hey, not every family is like you guys, right? They don't embrace the emotional side. And I looked over at the dad and he starts looking down in his lap and he's like, his arms are all crossed. And I go, what? And he goes, uh, well, 
just because I said, I, I think it's good. doesn't mean I did it. He goes, I'm old school. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I go, you didn't talk to your family about your cancer. And he goes, no, I don't want to burden them. I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want their pity. You know, I'm old school Mexican man. I don't, I don't want them doting all over me and worrying about if I'm going to die. He goes, I just got to do what I got to do. And I go, but you told me how important it is. And he goes, it is important. And I look at the daughter and she's got her head down arms crossed like looking down at her lap i like what you just told me how important it is and she goes yeah but i knew what my dad had been through kind of and i didn't want to talk to him about the emotional side of it because how are you going to tell your dad what do you feel about maybe losing your daughter and then i got to make him think about what he went through and i don't want like i don't want to burden him with that and i'm like but you just said how important it was and she goes well just because we didn't do it doesn't mean we don't know how important it is and I'm like, that's exactly every single person I ran into. So I know it's a long story, but every person I ran into had some level of hesitancy around starting these hard conversations about the emotional side of things. And um, what's really cool to wrap up that story is about three, about three weeks later, I'm in uh, two and a half weeks later, I'm in Florida and I'm biking through Florida in the middle of the night and I get a call from my buddy Jerry and he's like in tears and he goes, dude, I just left dinner with my dad and my sister. And he goes, they talk like for the first time. Like, I mean, they're very close. So they, they always talk, but he goes, yeah, they, they went for dinner and they, they talked about what they went through and the emotions they felt and they cried and they laughed and they hugged. And he goes, man, it was beautiful. He goes, he goes, you inspired them to talk about things that they never talked about. I'm trying to remember if I talked to my dad about it when he had, my dad had cancer um, <clears throat> and my mom had to sort of really manage the healthcare system. And we had to go down to the States to get certain tests and stuff done. It was a, a two or three year battle. And I mean, he was like one of the best guys I knew. He was the best guy I knew, like real role model kind of thing. Like loved him. We were pretty close, but I'm wondering if we sort of even did that too. Like, I felt like we were pretty tight about it and we we're pretty open with his, with his cancer, but I bet you we left out of a lot of the emotional stuff. I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like I, I, uh, when he died, I had told him everything I needed to tell him, but yeah, it's well, it I mean, brought me back to that time too with my mom and my mom's had breast cancer a couple of times. So yeah. And, and that's a good, I mean, look, it's a, it's a good thing to be able to sit there and say, I, I, yeah, I pretty much said everything that I, that I could have said or that I wanted to say. And I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to sit down around a campfire and cry over each other about their emotions, about every little thing. Right. I'm not saying that, but what I, what I do think is um, that sometimes it's really hard to have the, uh, the, the, the talks about the emotional side. You know, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, a friend of mine, Wendy, and, and her father was her role model. And he was a real tough guy. Like, you know, He's not going to accept help from anybody, but he was near the end of, uh, he was in hospice and he was near the end of, of his battle with stomach cancer. And she's like, dude, the look on my dad's face when I was putting out in and taking out his feeding tube was horrifying. I mean, the shame and the embarrassment because he was such like this tough dude. She goes, and I wanted to ask him, what does it feel like to know you're going to die and I'm going to miss you so much and all. And she goes, I, I didn't want him to feel any more shame or embarrassment, but God, I wish I would have been able to ask him. And I'm like, dude, I, I hear you. I totally understand what you're saying. And you know, you, you can't get that time back, but, but, but she just could, it's, 
could so resonate with her how hard it is to have those conversations. So what I wanted to do with the stories that I gave is not to give people answers and certainly not to preach to them about what they should or shouldn't do, but I wanted them to be able to read stories that were super evocative, super emotional, you know, inspirational that they could identify with that might give them a little bit of insight if they have a friend like you that's going through something with their dad, like you might have gone through with your dad, Graham, that they might be able to have a deeper conversation with you should should you guys want to have that authentic, deeper connection about the emotional side. And they wouldn't just go, oh, Graham, sorry to hear that, man. All right, well, talk soon. Call me if you need anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Was there, was there any sort of overarching trends or any kind of... uh similar kind of struggles or emotions with all the different people that you talk to about cancer? Yeah. Um, one is a certain amount of isolation, right? It, it, whether it was self-isolation or abandonment um, or just not the ability to talk about the emotional side. Like I had a, a doctor, it was 40 years at, at, at uh, uh, New York University at Perlmutter's Cancer Institute, 40 years as a, as an oncologist and, and surgeon. And when, when we sat down to talk, I said to her, I said, hey, doc, I go like, who have you talked to about this kind of stuff? Like your husband? And she goes, nah, we don't really talk about like these kind of things. And I go, well, your girlfriends? And she goes, nah, like we go to museums and go on hikes and trips and shit. We go shopping. I go, how about your peers? And she started laughing. She's like, I'm a woman doctor, dude. Do you think I, you think I'm going to talk about emotions at work? I go, well, who have you talked to about, about all the stuff that you've seen as a doctor for 40 years and the things that you learned? And she goes, uh, well, besides you. And I'm like, seriously. So, um, she never had a safe space to talk about the, and she was dealing with some very serious emotion that would just, I, everybody I've told her story to her that's read it has really, it's really resonated with them because her story in a very short nutshell is 40 years of being an oncologist. When she started out, she could care less whether or not her patients listen to her. If she's going to be a doctor and she's working and she's going to do whatever. But 40 years into it, she was like, you have to listen to me because I can make you better. Or if not, I could, I could cure you. Or if not, I can at least extend your life. And so if you don't take my advice, you don't know what you're going to miss out on. I've lived this beautiful, fulfilling life. And I got you telling me you're going to sleep better and reduce your stress and, and buy some freaking tea in, in from Brazil. And that's going to cure you of your cancer. No, 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 no. Listen to me. I'm the doctor, man. Like, listen to me. I'm going to make your life better. And so she became this desperate for people to take her advice because she knew what they were going to miss out on. 40 years earlier, she didn't have that, that, that perspective on life. And I was like, wow, man, that's heavy stuff. Like she was 40 years later, more driven to make sure that she could take care of her patients. And I just love that story. And so each one of the stories has, um, has somewhat of an element of they, they were abandoned or they felt isolated or they didn't have a safe space to talk about the emotional side of what they were going through. My favorite one that I heard was the deal, the deal with the devil one. We don't have to. Oh my God. But oh yeah. What a, what an amazing, amazing story. Thank you. Yeah. She's city story. Yeah. You know, I'm not a a religious person. I mean, I have some beliefs and stuff, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't belong to any organized religion or whatever. And she knew this because she asked me when we first started talking, like talk to me about your faith and whatever. 
And she almost cut the conversation off because she's like, listen, you're not going to believe my story because if you don't, if you're not a person of faith, there's no way you can believe my story. And I'm like, well, you know, try me out and, you know, have an open mind and whatever. But her story, because she was just like, I'm going to tell it to you the way it happened and you're either going to believe me or not. And it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost unbelievable. Yeah, we 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 should leave that one. We won't get into that because it's it yeah. kind of has to be has to be read, you know, to, yeah. to get to get it. Otherwise, it'd just be a big spoiler. So yeah, um, you know what's funny though? The part that got me the the tearjerker part of the book. I don't know if this will be normal or not. It was uh, was when you got help in uh, in Texas at the bike store, and then in the uh, there was another part in New York, I think, like. Just the, just the, your part of the story of you getting help, like people just knowing sort of what you're doing. And that was super emotional to me. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. It was very emotional for me too. Cause that was a side of the world that I did not expect. I, I certainly didn't expect it. Right. I'm this, this guy on a solo bike ride, you know, for about six weeks or so. And I had hoped guys that I would run into people because I, I was visiting hospitals and cancer centers and I was at a different hotel every night. You know, the, the hotel rooms were donated. I knew I was going to run into a lot of people and I had hoped that I wasn't myopic, that I wasn't like just creating the nail because I was the hammer of, hey, we all have a problem talking about the emotional side of cancer. Like I wanted to see, was it true? So everybody I ran into, literally everybody I ran into at some level, that thought resonated with them. And it was very fulfilling for me but i i was shocked at how many people were nice to me did, did you happen to um remember the 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 waitresses at the restaurant yeah, in Louisiana? that was the other one that was the other Dude, one actually it was that it gets one me every time. it was that one and the bike store like yeah it gets me every time so i'm at the end of this like crazy day right and a buddy had, had flown in to to try to help me for a few days um, you know, with supplies and stuff like that. And we, we go to this Italian restaurant. I'm just wiped. I'm completely wiped. And I'm gobbling down. Doing like, like talk about how, how far did you go per day? Like <laughs> some of these days, like this is like, we're like, we're talking like 11, 12, 13 hour days, hundred, hundred plus miles. Oh, right? I, plus. And probably because I'm, I'm not a person of faith. You know, if, if there's a guy out there, he was just like, all right, I'm going to screw with this dude and give him a hand with every single day. Like screw him, right? <laughs> so, so I had a headwind every day, man. It was unbelievable. So I, I averaged about eleven hours a day, about one hundred and twelve miles, hundred hundred fourteen miles a day. So, roughly, you know, what's that? One hundred forty ish k a day on the bike, and uh, and and ten, twelve, fourteen, seventeen hours a day, a seventeen hour day one time. Yeah, ten miles an hour then. Yeah, because I was having flats and I'm having like the wind and I got a heavy bike and there's a lot of hills and, you know, I'm solo. So, you know, I got to stop and look at maps and stuff. And so it wasn't like pounding a hundred mile bike ride. You know what I'm saying? It, it was like a journey, but I had to get from point A to point B every day because the the the, the um, hotel rooms were given to me. And if I missed one, then all the other ones behind it would have had to been rescheduled. So because they were all with different different hotel owners and stuff. So I had to get there. And, and every once in a while, it was like, a, it was, you know, just figure it out, roll in at two in the morning and get up at seven and do it again. Do you ever, 110 miles more, like probably 175 kilometers? Okay, something like that. Yeah. yeah that's, dude, that's, a, that's a lot, man. I mean, did you wish that I was listening to the book? And I'm like, man, he should have just 
not had such an aggressive schedule. Like, do you regret having such an aggressive schedule or in, after it's all said and done, you're kind of happy? No, I'm glad I got it done because I mean, it, if you're going to endure pain, you might as well endure it for a little oh less time than a little more. Time. I don't know that it would have been easier if I had done it over eight weeks over than over six weeks. Right. But what, what kept me going was, was like, like experiences at that restaurant. So I'm, I'm, pouring down plates of food and this the owner comes over and starts talking to us and 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 my buddy said hey you know what my buddy's doing and she goes what and i said and she goes oh my god well you know i've had cancer like five different times in my family and look meals on me and i'm like wow man you don't have to do that but that's very cool and then by the end of the night the waitress comes over and, and she brought over the two other waitresses and she hands me this envelope and when I tell you there's not much money in it, I'm telling you there's not much money, very little money. Okay. And she, she looks up at me and she goes, we want to take your picture. We, we pulled all of our tips together, the three of us, and we want to give you our tips for the night. So you can um, give it to, you know, cause I was raising money. So, so you can add it to what you're raising because we've all been touched by cancer. And, and I open up the, the thing and I mean, there's not very much money in there. And I just thought, you know, these are all women who probably are working a second job, maybe kids, maybe single women. I don't even know their story, but really a stranger, they're going to give some stranger their whole night's tip just as a, as a gesture. I, I was just like, wow, man, people are freaking nice. If you give them the ability to be right. Yeah. 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 You're out there being of service and look what comes back to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, it sounds stupid, but don't we live in a world where we get all reminded of how bad people are and how angry they are and how freaking brutal they are to each other? So even though this was five years ago, it was nice to know that there's some really nice people in the world. Totally. I love it. Darren, do you got any questions at all or comments? Where, so you went right from East Coast to West Coast? Is that what you did? West Coast to East West Coast. Coast. I East went Coast. from California... Uh, so I went, I skirted a few hundred miles down California coastline and then zigzagged my way up to the north part of Texas and then spent about 10 days navigating Texas, <laughs> which Texas is a big freaking state, dude. Um, and then across the southern part of the United States to Florida, turned right at the panhandle that went all the way down to Tampa and then went across to Orlando and then zigzagged up to New York City zigzagged up to New York City. So how many miles total? 4,700 miles. 4,700 miles. So if it was straight, if I went straight from LA to New York, it would have been about 3,000 miles. The way I did it, it was about 4,700 miles. So you were that's hurting, not bad. Right? That is some, not that. Is way? I mean, this was tough, right? It wasn't like easy. It was hard. I, my, my life is like, I mean, obviously, you know, I told you in the beginning, I was, I was in a bad marriage, you know, piece of alcoholic, le- left her many years ago. But, um, you know, very happily married now. My wife is just like, like six months later, she's like, when are you going to recover? <laughs> it took me like a year. It took yeah. me a year before I felt like myself again. Yeah. It, it really did take a lot out of me. It was, it was, it was beyond brutal. Yeah. Were you able to keep up your exercise regime and everything during that year? Did you like get fat again? No, I didn't get fat again. I mean, honestly, uh, I didn't do a ton of exercising. I I did some, um, you know, I did some long distance runs and bikes and whatever, but I was hurting and and I was, I was exhausted. Like I was, I was emotionally and physically and mentally exhausted because 
Like when you I, I, look, it, 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 you could recover from a few days, from a week, from a couple of weeks. But I was to the point where like five, six weeks in, like, like, I don't know if anybody's a site. I don't know if you guys are cyclists or not, but you get on your bike, start pedaling, right? I would start pedaling and my legs would be so on fire that it's like, it was like a pain threshold of 10 because I had so much built up exhaustion and lactic acid and micro tears and all this stuff. And, and, and then I'd start pedaling super, super slow just to get my legs used to it. And then it's like, Oh, okay. I can push. And then if I had to stop, I had to do that whole thing over. Like, and I probably did that 20 times a day where it's just like, you know, like when you watch an old dude get out of a car and they like walk over to the grocery basket or something. And you're just like, wow, really hurts that much to get out of the car and walk over there. Dude, it hurt that much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like It was unbelievable. But what about your ass though? I mean, when I first ride, when I used to ride and I, I had my first ride of the season. Like my ass would just kill. I couldn't even, I went out with this guy took me out in the mountains there and I couldn't even sit on the, on the seat after like an hour. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How, I, you know, like I, I'm a big fan of professional cycling. I watch like the tour de France and stuff like that. And I'm like, like how in the world, like I did two tour de France's back to back. Okay. Like without a day's rest. Well, I took a couple of days rest in, 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 in between, but longer than what would be two tour de France's. I did more miles back to back and 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 man my ass hurt like a son of a bitch and i'm like how do these guys do it like they don't they, they get off the bike and then they go cool down with a bike ride for two hours i'm like how in the world i don't know how people do it man yeah. i mean that's why i know i'm not an athlete i just don't mind pushing myself to crazy endurance things because i think athletes just are a whole nother level you know like i i feel the pain man i don't know how they don't feel the pain is that why one of your books was titled middle of the pack or something? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it means. Right. Cause I'm not the guy that's going to win. Right. I'm not winning the race, but, but, uh, but from the middle of the pack, like I, I feel like nobody's looking at the guy in the middle of the pack. Right. Yeah. Everybody wants to see who's the one that's going to win. And I'm kind of sometimes interested to see who's the, who's the last, you know, crazy person that's crossing the Ironman finish line. Like everybody comes back to watch the last person cross at midnight. I'm like, man, that's kind of cool. Everybody in between, nobody cares. Nobody's watching them. And, And it's a very freeing thought to know that. You're doing it just for you. So that's, that's, that's how you can win in the middle of the pack. Cause you, you you know, you don't have to impress anybody. Nobody's watching. Yeah. Darren, anything else? What was your favorite state? Oh, that's a great question. Ah, my favorite state. I'm going to say, uh, uh, only because I thought it was a pretty big deal to like start by putting my feet in the Pacific ocean that when I reached the Atlantic ocean, I thought that was a big deal. Like it just hit me like, dude, I, I literally biked across the country. So getting into Florida and getting across Florida was a big deal for me. So I think Florida was my favorite state only because I was able to put my feet and I got off the bike and walked over to the, to the, to the ocean on the beach and put my foot in. I'm just like, all right, man, that's kind of cool. Like you biked all the way across the country. So I think that was my, my favorite, certainly New York. When I finished, that was pretty, that was pretty special. (laughs) To get off the bike and go here, take this bitch. I I don't want to see it ever again. But you live in California. Yeah, yeah. So you went back. 
After biking yeah, across the country, you decided back. to stay. You just threw the <laughs> no, bike in the garbage. I, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I, I had a buddy of mine from from New Zealand come out, and he uh, he took my car and and threw the bike in the back, and and then I flew back because I did have somebody supporting me most of the time for about two two thirds of the time. My wife, she was my fiance at the time. I had a friend here or there that was supporting me by you know helping me navigate and you know, bringing me supplies throughout the day or whatever. So we had a vehicle out in New York. And when I was done, my buddy offered to to drive it home so I could fly, fly home and get back to my life. What was the scariest thing that happened? Oh, that's easy, man. Absolutely easy. Can I guess? Yeah. The dog? The dog was pretty scary, dude. That was more funny than scary. That's so funny. Let me Go tell you the him. dog story. Go get him, boy. Go get him. Get that. He he didn't have a very nice he didn't have very nice language. That was in Texas though. So so I'm at the end of my day, right? And I'm like, I'd run into a lot of dogs or whatever. Big deal. No big deal, right? And so I'm I'm on the side road of Texas, like a mile, two miles from the hotel, done. My legs are toast. And I see this dude working on his car and he's got like a pit bully looking dog there. And I'm like, I hope that dog's on a leash. And I go, oh, well, the owner sees me, so it's so it's kind of cool. And I maybe I made it up in my mind, but I think that owner even waved at me, right? But I could have made that up in my mind. And as soon as I get close to the thing, the dog starts biking, and the dude puts his hands on his hips, and he's like, go get him, get that bastard. And the dog starts chasing me. I'm like, what the hell? You know, it's coming closer, and I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm reaching for my pepper spray, I'm ready to get this dog, and I finally out-paddled him. That was pretty scary, man. I think, I think that dog would have had me for lunch. Uh, but yeah, you, did you get? Uh, did you happen to, to, to get to the four-mile bridge? Yeah, one? yeah. Is that, that the that was a scary? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, because I actually, actually, the only time I actually thought I, I could actually die, like, like not, no hyperbole like die. Like I thought I could have died because what, what happened was I, I was, I was on a bridge that, that didn't have any shoulder. Didn't it only had a tiny little curve, and like two, only two, la- two lanes, right? Two, like two one, lanes. One, and, one way each way. and and it's, it only had a little curve that you could step up on. Like you, you, my whole foot couldn't have fit on the curb. Right. I mean, it wasn't a big curb and uh, it was raining. It was nighttime. I was wearing gear, but man, cars were just going by really, really fast. And I, I couldn't get, in order to get to safety, every time a car came near me, I had to jump off my bike, lift it up, uh, get on this tiny little you know curve that's the size of my foot, and lean over this railing, and then the car would miss me by a few inches, and then all of a sudden a big semi truck came by, and that thing, man, the mirrors on that thing, I, I, I'm telling you, it only missed me by an inch or two, and and so I'd get on my bike. I'd start pedaling. I look behind me to see where the traffic was. I see some lights. I get off. I I lean against the railing, and I couldn't go backwards. I couldn't go forwards. If I went down, I was going to fall into the swamp. So, you know, which was probably, I don't know, three, four, five stories below. And so I, I just thought I was going to die. I mean, literally, I probably went through that exercise where I jumped off my bike and leaned onto that railing, hoping that the guy wasn't going to swerve too close to the curb. I might have done that like thirty times. In, in the 15 or 20 minutes it took me to get across, I thought for sure I was going to die. Where was that? In Louisiana? Or? That was in Louisiana. In fact, yeah. if I had, a, if it wasn't raining so hard, I, I I really literally thought about texting my 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 wife saying, you know, this like is where it happened. Across the bridge? or oh. Yeah, this, this is where it happened. 
just to give her some closure as to what what happened to me. I I honestly, I like I was that close to thinking I was gonna die. That was pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I guess what are you gonna do? I guess you could just throw on the bike off and just huddled into a little ball on the curb, but. And, and there's no, there's no real clipped. other way around it, right? In Louisiana, you're kind of stuck going through those tra- those swamps and those uh, yeah. those bridges, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. It's just it the way it is. I picture and, and it I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't know what I got was getting myself into because I, you know, ninety five percent of the roads I had never even come close, and I was on the highway most of the time, but sometimes I wasn't on the highway, and and being on the highway is kind of scary too because you know, like you got those drunk bumps you know, behind you and, 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 and as I'm hearing trucks, you know, hit drug bumps, you know, like, you know, on the edge of the highway. I hit those all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a biker ahead of that and you're hearing that behind you, you're like, how far across that line are they going to go? Am I going to get run over? So I still have, I'm not shitting yet. Is that what bikers later. think? That's good to know. That is good no, to know. I am going to troll bikers. some bikers. <laughs> five, five years later, but I'm out on a bike ride. Five years later, I, I hear I hear a noise behind me. I'm like, ah! Because I think I'm going to get run over, man. It's terrible. Did you get hit at all? Or did you have, like, did you get hurt at all? Nah, I, I, I fell off the bike a couple of times, but pretty much my own doing. So, no, nah, I didn't, nothing major. Joe Biden style. Well, you stopped in the <laughs> middle. Of, you stopped in the middle of the road once too. I mean, that was. You must have been a little out of it then. That was loopy. I was loopy, dude. I had a. I, I the first twelve days. So I, I don't know how to do Celsius. Celsius. So I'll just tell you Fahrenheit. The first twelve days, the high was not below a hundred degrees. So it was freaking hot for the what first twelve days. Way to start. Yeah. Because I'm in the southwest. Uh, um, of the United States, I started on, on September 1st. So September is usually the hottest month. And it was a hundred, it was like 112, 115 degrees some days. And by the end of the day, I was loopy. So yeah, this one day I just had a flat tire and I, I was out of tires and it just wasn't, my mind wasn't working. And I called my wife, who's about 15 miles away at a hotel. And I, and I go, Hey, can you like bring me some tubes or something? Cause I'm having trouble changing the tube. So she pulls up and she's like, what the hell are you doing? I go, what? She goes, you're in the middle of the road. I go, no, I'm not. I'm on the, oh shit. I'm in the middle of the road. I literally had been standing in the middle of the road for like 20 minutes trying to change a tire. I guess, I guess I could have got run over. It wasn't such a desolate place. A hundred Fahrenheit is 38 Celsius. So it was 38 to 41 Celsius. Yeah, 38 to 45 probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was hot. Yeah, that's yeah. too hot for me. That's yeah, that's hot. hot. That's hot. Yeah. I'm just hanging around. Never mind about riding. Period. I couldn't live down in those places. I get that hot. And melt. Indians melt. That's my well, kind of Indians do anyway. You know, uh, most of the running and biking I've done in the Mojave has been in summer. So I, I kind of like the heat. But, um, but yeah, that's hot, hot. I mean, when you're biking for 10 hours in 100, you know, 38, you know, Celsius, that's that, that'll work you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but so you I, know, here's the thing. Like, I chose to do it, right? Yeah. And so, so I, you you're not bitter, you're not angry, you're not like whining about it. You just do what you do because honestly, if you don't want to do it, don't don't do it. Like, no, nobody was forcing me to do it. Nobody's paying me to do it. Yeah. Right. So it 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 it's a whole different mindset. One that I never would have had, you know, pr- prior to kind of my my, my little wake up calls, but. 
But I'm like, you know what? Anytime I wanted to complain, I'm like, seriously, like you're going to complain. Who's, who's paying you to do this? Who told you to do it? Nobody just yeah. shut up and keep, keep peddling. Yeah. I do have some kind of overarching sort of big picture cancer issues kind of because you've been so involved in this in the last while. I mean, was there any, was there any sort of, uh, uh, common frustrations with, with it? Like either, either, either with the system or with like why we all get cancer because it's help happening to healthy people. You have stories about healthy people. It's not like you can just avoid it through your life. You can try right. and maybe you have a better percentage, but it can hit anybody anytime, anywhere. I mean, was there some overall frustrations with either the system or how it's still rampant in society or, you know, having to manage it? Like my mom, like one of the lessons we learned is that in Canada is you got to man, even though the government sort of is, is taking care of it and you don't really have a lot of choices uh, privately, but you got to man, you still have to manage your healthcare. You have mm -hmm. to manage it. You have to follow up on everything. You have to, take the initiative you got to know you got you have to get involved otherwise it just it just stagnates and goes on forever like you have to push and push and push that and that is a frustrating part of it when you when, if you looked at if you wrapped up the entirety of cancer okay there's a tiny tiny little sliver that the medical world understands cause and effect yeah Here's the cause. Here's the, it's a tiny little sliver. There's a whole tiny little sliver that says, you know what? We know that that gene is going to mutate this way. And so if we can stop it from mutating that way, we can stop the cancer from advancing. And they've developed drugs and some other treatments and some, you know, some radiation chemotherapy that, that can stop the cancer from progressing in some cases, right? So advancements in the cancer world are astronomical in the last 50 years, certainly in the last 20 years, astronomical. It still is a tiny, tiny little sliver because the math is, is, is kind of crazy. And, and I'm going to steal from someone and I'm sorry, I, I'm not giving anybody the credit for this, but somebody gave me this analogy. I was listening to a Ted talk or a podcast or something um, on my bike ride. And the number just will not leave my head because the way he explained it is so amazing is he said, here's, here's the, here's the number. Try to wrap your brain around this. So he said, I'm, I'm wheeling a, a cart full, a library cart full of books. Okay. And that library cart full of books could fit onto one thumb drive. Now, I want you to fill up a boat the size of the Titanic with thumb drives. And I want you to put three Titanics worth of thumb drives together. That's the human genome. Because in what our job is, is to find the one thumb drive with the one book on the one page in the one word where two letters are transposed because that's what's causing your problem. That seemed, is that, oh man, that just seems so, it's, it seems it's, so like backwards though. Like, can't I know, we find the imagine, cause? Like what, like what's right. causing it? Like that seems to be like a reaction to the, to this, to the, to what's happening, you know? I know, but, but like, think about that though. That's how complicated of a world we're dealing with, right? Because you just said at the beginning, who doesn't know a 90-year-old woman that's smoking and drinking whiskey that 
that's doing fine and the 30 year old woman that's doing triathlons and living a healthy life and she gets uh, uh, breast cancer and dies. Like we just don't know. So yeah, a little sliver of it, we know cause and effect, a little sliver of it. We know how to treat, but really the biggest frustration, how you framed your question, the biggest frustration is it, it's, it's still an art. Like it's just a practice, right? It's just, there's nobody knows anything. I mean, really, we really just don't know any. There's know, so many just, factors. So, so is there like a, like, is there a distrust with the corporate? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to sound too negative, but we've, we've put a lot of money, not we, but you know, a lot of money's gone into cancer research and all that. And there are, yeah. I think you said some stats at the beginning of your book that kind of make sense that maybe we are making progress in some ways, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but it sure feels like cancer is getting worse and worse after billions and billions and billions have been sunk into the, this, this industry, you know? Yeah, and it's hard to it is hard to wrap your brain around that. Like, I don't know if you guys paid attention to that whole bucket challenge thing, and yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that was supposed to raise money for ALS and research because it just wasn't getting much research. And all of a sudden, they just come out with this drug that can be very effective in treating ALS, maybe even preventing the 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 onset of it. Um, and and it only became as a as a result of the billions of dollars that was raised through the bucket challenge. So sometimes wow. you throw money at something and it can solve the problem, right? Sometimes yeah, it can. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. But those are simple. You know, c- cancer is an enigma, man. It's just the, the, the way that your your cells can mutate. Ha- it, it's endless. It's literally in, infinitesimal, Right. So it's it's like you just don't know. You just don't know. And they're trying to figure it out. And so they're making some strides. They're making gains. But really, you need to be in charge of your own health. You need to ask questions. You need to do research because I'm telling you, you go to I'm, look at uh, 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 um, the, the selling your soul to the devil. Every doctor yeah. she talked to told her a different story. Yeah, I it was, was simple breast that. cancer. Yeah, I was going to mention that. And I mean, she went down the whole alternative route too, right? And that didn't work. And I mean, we had a guest on, he was a good friend of mine and he was into all the spiritual stuff, all this holistic healing stuff. Do you remember Derek, Darren? And, uh, I do remember. And he went down to, he went to Canada. Yeah, he was in the New Zealand guy, right? Yeah, he went to the States to go to, uh, Buttar, Dr. Buttar's, like, basically holistic clinic. Like, Basically, the new age, new alternative uh, healing part of for cancer, right? You go there, go through a whole bunch of different protocols, like probably one of the most professional kind of Western medical like new sort of alternative systems that you could go to. Right. Was it in Florida? uh, Florida. uh, Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember the state. I feel like it was more northern, but anyways, he went he went through the all and he got better for a while, and then he ended up he ended up dying um, probably uh, a year ago now. What Derek so, died? You know, yeah, he he didn't make it. I mean, so it's just like what? you know, you you can't go that way, you can't go that way necessarily. Like, there's really it's that's why I think what you're doing is so important because it's not just there's no like easy way through it really. There isn't an easy way through, and I'm super touched by w- one of the smartest people I've ever met was, and I don't even know the depths of how smart she is. I don't know that well. Is that is that oncologist I talked to, um, I talked about early on, 
And at one point I, I, I said to her, I go, so with all you've been through, cause she had been through a lot as a child. Uh, and, and I go with all you've been through and, you know, like, I got, you know, she was discriminated on, you know, pretty, really hardly for being, for being, trying to be a woman surgeon, you know, like women, women aren't, aren't surgeons, you know, back, back in the day when she, when she started becoming a surgeon. And so I said, why, why'd you stick with it? And she goes, well, you know, we have these like gallows humor, like, you know, you work in an ER on a Friday night and you just kind of, you have to joke about all the motorcycle accidents and the drunk people shooting each other and whatever. And you get through it with humor. She goes, well, with cancer, there's nothing humorous about it. She goes, and I think the only reason I do it is the same reason every other oncologist gets into cancer and sticks with it. And I go, what's that? She goes, well, maybe it'll give us good karma and we won't get cancer. Who knows? Right. I mean, it's, it's like, it's an enigma. You just don't know. Yeah. And so you just, what we do know, that little sliver, it's getting a little bit bigger over yeah. the years and, and, and it will continue to get bigger. So what about advice for people to, that have, um, and I know you don't like want to give advice, advice, but just from the stories that you heard and all for how to, is, is there sort of, is it finding kind of like the solution and the path that is right for you? Everybody's unique. Every path is different. All the doctors are different. All the modalities are different. Like. Yeah, I mean, on the medical side, the only thing I've learned from the people I spoke to is just uh, take ownership of your of your medical yeah, journey. Yeah. yeah, right. Document, ask questions. It's really yeah. hard. It's hard to ask your doctor questions because yeah. you don't know. You know, you don't know a yeah. thing. They know everything. Meanwhile, they don't know much either. But you know a whole lot less. And so, how are you going to say like, I know you're telling me X, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, so, can I like get a second opinion because I'm not sure you're 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 you know, smart enough to be telling me this stuff. It's hard to do, right? But if you can have the guts to question everything that's being documented, to take ownership of your journey, I think that's really important. It might work to your benefit, it might not. But that from the, that's from the medical side. Yeah. On the emotional side, I certainly have a little bit more advice, you know? Go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the emotional side is, is not me preaching advice. It's just the advice I learned from other people. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, kind of like if if you want to have an authentic connecting, you know, a discussion, a relationship with me over this, first of all, you know, don't tell me you're sorry. It's not your fault. Like, and I don't want to hear you're sorry because, because that doesn't help me. Um, don't give me a bunch of sympathy. Like, don't tell me how bad I must feel and don't look at me all like puppy dog eyes and all oh, pity poor you. And don't do that. It doesn't make me feel any better. Three. Don't compare your situation to mine. Like, like nobody's lost a dad and can look at you and go, Hey, listen, Graham, I know how it feels for you to lose your dad. No, you don't. Right. Because I might want to know how you feel about it, but I'm not going to assume to think I know how you feel about it just because I lost my dad too. Right. So don't compare yourself. And I think the, 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 the last thing is, is don't, don't try to make it better. Like you, you can't make it better. Just be there. Just be there and support them, and 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 show them that you care. Listen, whatever. Like like, don't, you can't make it better, and they're not looking for you to make it better. All people want to do sometimes is they want to be heard. They want to be able to unload. They want to sound foolish. They want to be scared and be safe to be scared, or they want to like you know what I'm saying. Like they just want that authentic connection. And I think that those few tips that I've learned from all the people I spoke to are tips that really resonate with most of them you know they, yeah. that came from most of them yeah that makes sense a lot did you come across any um 
preventative things that might work or anybody doing alternative stuff that might prevent, like that they think is working or, you know what I mean? Anything like health wise, besides just being like ultimately healthy. Yeah. Way above my pay grade to know if it, if it, if it did or didn't, the only thing that resonates with me guys, I mean, the only thing that seems to be like, maybe I want it to be this way or just, it just seems is, is stress. I, I think, I think uh, internalizing stress, internalizing trauma can lead to unhealthy things. We know it leads to unhealthy behaviors, right? Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to self-harm. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that stress and trauma could cause you internally. And the one thing that I want to I want to think that because it I kind of heard it in one way or another from from everybody, and kind of resonates is. Man, you gotta not hold that stress inside. You gotta not hold your turmoil in because bad things can happen. And, and I'm not even, saying, and it might not even be consciously, right? Like yeah. I think that's that could be what happened to my dad. I mean, my dad's cancer kind of exploded fairly quick all over his stomach. It was carcinoid mm-hmm. cancer, very rare, very rare kind. And then he had a brain tumor at the same time. Like I think it might have been a different cancer in his brain and his stomach. But he didn't. He never really came across as stressed, or he never really um. Would he would be very light and jokey and kind of like you know he would never show that side and that might be the the issue there is like maybe he did he wasn't vulnerable enough about sharing his stress letting it out giving it a giving it an exit you know he just held it in and kind of just put on his dad joke facade for people you know that resonates with me I, I maybe it's only because I want to believe it but it's like you know like like what I'd rather do is I'd rather say. I'd rather say I got uh, like I want to reduce the amount of stress and trauma that I'm holding on to. That seems to make sense. I don't want to be the person that's like, well, what the heck? If I'm going to get cancer, I'm going to smoke and overeat and eat fried food every night and, you know, do do all the stuff that's bad for me because I'm going to get it anyway. What the heck? Like, I'd, I'd rather not be that person. I'd rather be the other person that says, yeah, if it's possible that these health issues, dementia, cancer, whatever, could be amplified by holding on to stress and internalizing trauma and 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 isolating yourself from the emotional interaction with others. I, I'd rather try to get rid of that because that seems to resonate with me again. Maybe because I want to, but it just it just sounds logical to no, me. No, I, I I think that resonates a lot. Darren, do you got any? I anything? like it too. I like it too. Let's let's put a stamp on it. <laughs> Fact. Nice. Let's lick it and stamp it, baby. David, it's been great. Where can people find more about your stuff? Where can they find the books? Is there some place they can get all that stuff for you on any social media where people can stalk you? Oh, I do, Darren. So thank you. Um the books are wherever books are sold. You know, most books are sold on Amazon, Barnes <laughs> and Noble, that type of stuff. We have a uh a audible. So the Audible is awesome because 15 different actors that each play one of the different people. And I think it just gives it another depth. And uh, your narration the, through the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. I, I read the narration part in between, but each, each one of the 15 stories is read by a different actor. So that's pretty cool. Next and time, then, consider uh, Graham for an actor. Dang, I, I might as well. Come on, Graham. You're going to do the next book. He's um, read over 50 titles on Audible. Over really? 70, maybe over 70, but over 50 for sure. Wow. Holy cow. That's a probably lot. one of the all time audible grades. Oh, shut up. 
I love that, man. Well, we have to talk afterward about that. Yeah, I, I might have a good started. lead for you. Right on. Um, but um, uh, yeah, and what I, uh, I forget to mention, I mean, you heard it, if you listened or read the book, but I, I'm I am giving from now from from day one until eternity, hundred um, percent of the net proceeds from the book go to support the cancer focused organizations that were chosen by the people in the book. Oh, so I okay, list them. Okay. In the book, I, they're listed on my website, cycleoflives.org. So you can see all the great organizations that the people in the book wanted to support. And any dollar that comes into me goes out to them. So um, that's something good. Right on. And then is that through david-richmond.com too? Yes. It's the same thing. It's just two different names okay. that go to okay. the same website. So okay. it's either david-richmond.com or cycleoflives.org. Or you can look up, you know, crazy person who biked across the country for cancer, and yeah. my name might pop up. I wonder. I what, really, I, I wonder. really enjoyed the. I really enjoyed the book. And thank uh, you, thank yeah, you for taking and the time. Story, and, and I really like how, yeah, how you're getting people to talk about this. It's important. Yeah, this yeah, has been great, David. Um, yeah, if thanks, you, Darren. If you bike across the country again, let us know. You know, I, I'm thinking at some point I gotta I gotta come up with another event. I haven't. I mean, I keep doing Ironmans and other kind of stuff. Go to Alaska. I'm, well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if I start in New York, and then head up to Maine, and then cut across to Washington State, and then down the down the coast, then I will have circumnavigated the states. Nah, so that's kind of cool. Weak. No, that shit's weak. Here's what <laughs> you gotta do. <laughs> you gotta head down to first. Go from California. Yeah. Right down to the tip of the Florida, the yeah. very bottom, and then up to Anchorage. Whoa. And now you got a real time constraint because you got to get, you got to make sure you get there while it's still warm. You got the long days. If it's getting too late, you're fucked. You'll come right by yeah. here. We'll have you in studio. Or we'll like, if we don't have I, a studio to get you, we'll like rent a hotel. I got to get in Alaska when it's long days. We will cover your Calgary hotel. Ah, beautiful. Or, or you know what you can do? Actually, if you want to circumnavigate the states, just push that northern, uh, east to west. Yes, into Canada and just take I, your, just take the number one all the way down Canada. I'll do. What was the dude? Canada. What was, I, sorry that I don't yeah, know the guy's no, name. No, he's the guy. Uh, his uh, name is uh, Terry Fox. You mean? Yes, Terry Fox, the guy that tried to run across Canada while he's going through cancer. Yeah, tried yeah. to. So here's the thing. I'm telling you, Alaska's better. I thought he made. Did he not? I don't make think it? there's he, enough. He, he did not he didn't make, make it, it all the way. He didn't even make uh, it halfway. I should know dude. that. Oh my god. Yeah, he, he, he died, but he was literally at the last stages of cancer when he started taking off. Right. I've been to his shrine a couple really? of times. Yeah, it's right by my hometown. We were gonna go see Terry Fox when he ran by, but he didn't make it. He didn't make it by like, I want to say less than 150 miles. Wow. But what you gonna do? We had well, a guy, I will James go. Top, just walked across Canada. Do you make yeah. it? Uh, yeah, he made yeah. it. Yeah, Good for people him. do some crazy stuff, right? I, 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 know, I heard about this doctor that circumnavigated Australia. Wow! To try to bring awareness to child obesity, and I'm like, dude, that's that's like forever yeah. walking around Australia. It's like oh, forever. He walked. He walked. Yeah, he walked around oh, wow. around. He walked all the way around Australia. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, that's that's like off on the beach. Well, no, I don't know. On the no, beach there's probably not, like but... a coastal road most places. You yeah, know. I'm not sure there's enough uh, like places to stop in Canada. Yeah, actually, that would be tough. Yeah, you, there's some really long stretches there where 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not camping in the cold, dude. Sorry, yeah. man. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Anchorage, I'm, yeah. just, you can do it. This is where Race Mine will put on, like, GoFundMe or whatever the fuck. We got this. We got your Calgary <laughs> Hotel, and we'll take you out for dinner. All right. I love it. I love it. Breakfast on your own. All right. Fair. Thanks, All right. buddy. All right, David. This has been right. great. Come back anytime. I will. Thanks, guys. Thanks, dude. All, All right. right. Take care. And that was a chat with David Rick. What do you think, buddy? Uh, good. Yeah, yeah. Richmond. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. I'm looking at his website, and it says yeah. how to pronounce it. Yeah. Don't you have a bike? Well, it got stolen. Um, I have an old, old 1989 Technium, but it's not. It's not uh, serviceable right now. I thought it just wasn't serviceable in the mountains. Uh, well, I've got road tires on it, but the, I don't think they're working properly. The tires are flat, I think. I turned it into a road bike, kind of, but then my road pressure. bike got stolen from Calgary, so. I could blow it up for you. Yeah. You mean your 10-speed? My, 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 well, it's not a 10-speed, but, but yeah, it, it was a like cycle a cross, speed. actually. It, like it was a, a cycle speed. cross, yeah. It's that gay look. Um, it's a 10-speed with knobby tires, so you can go off-road with it, yeah. With those little, it's like a, it's like a butchy girl. Um, That's what you the, think of it. Eh? The tires are so skinny. They got knobs I know, on but them. it's like, so you on. can get grip off road. You can go. It's supposed to be durable and simple enough, like without all the gearing and and braking and all that, where you just can rip off road and rip on road. Rip, it's for all terrain. It's like yeah. ripping off a dress, finding a lump. <laughs> you should bike across uh, Canada. Dude, what about just across Alberta? So when Kevin what about took just me out for one hour, I could have just across Alberta. No, I, no, there's no way. It's no, not even that far. I want to start rollerblading around here. That's what I'll do. Ha <laughs> ha! What's the hardest part about rollerblading? The short shorts. Telling your parents you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke when we were kids. <laughs> I pushed right through all that. I rollerbladed anyways. I, I don't give you. a shit. Fruit boots. That's what we used to call. Them. We were skateboarders. So, what did you call them? Fruit boots. <laughs> Are you going to start rollerblading in the spring? That'd be great. Yeah, I'm going to do it next. I should have done it this year, but the problem is, I got new rollerblades and they really hurt my calves and my ankles, like really bad. It's. I went out in the on the waterfront in Calgary lot when I bought them, and I was like, "What? They were so different from my other ones that they really, really were awkward and they hurt." Why don't you come to the and, gym? I, and I skated for like forty years, so I should be, you know, no problem on anything. But holy, it was a shocker. Longer than that, no. Uh, yeah, forty-five maybe. Yeah. Why don't you come to the gym? I no, no. How many donations would it take to get you to the gym? <laughs> Jeez, quite a few, probably. Like, yeah, because I gotta. I'm I'm working out every morning here, so I, and I don't have to leave. I can just work do the treadmill for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> nobody can Some see my weights. Nobody <laughs> can see my finger <laughs> quotes. It's <laughs> a treadmill. Some fucking eighties fit. Fit and aerobics. <laughs> well, remember those like used to go on and be like the music playing, be the hot yeah. chicks dancing oh, on the yeah. beach or something. We used to do the health hustle. It was called the health hustle when we were in school. Is that what you're doing? Um, not even. And you're doing less than that. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing? Better than nothing. 
Come to the gym. No, I don't. Send, I don't want to go. To, I don't have any interest in going to the gym. I've been through the. I don't. I don't want to do the gym again. No, I can't. Where? Which gym do you go to? I go to Gold. Good life. Gold. Oh. I'm not going to say which one. No, don't say which one. No. no. So no. what do you do there then? I pump iron, bro. Do you? I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff. I have. Uh, I I usually go. I've gone a few, quite a few times with Jay, so he's kind of showing me the ropes. So I do a lot of dumbbell stuff. Use a machine. I have a little routine. Good. Yeah. Good. I'll show it to you. Uh, not in person. No. No. You want to film it? Mm. Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, guys. Big thanks to Dave for coming on the show. <clears throat> big thanks to David for coming on the show. Even bigger thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're a supporter. We couldn't do without you. GrandAmerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. Make a one-time donation on Stripe or PayPal. Stripe if you don't like PayPal. If you canceled PayPal, sign up on Stripe. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Who's going to kill this sacred cow? You were never political anyhow. Since when did you start trusting in the government? Since when was it okay to ridicule and shame your neighbor? Your opinions have become, your opinions have become as fickle as artificial flavors. What matters most to you? What the TV host told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north or true? Who's gonna kill this sacred cow? You were never religious anyhow. Since when did you kiss the ring on the hand of the Pope? Since when do we need pharmaceuticals to cope? Your soul has become, ever loving soul has become, as brittle as communion wafers. What matters most to you? What the Holy Ghost told you to do Or a moral compass that points True north, oh true I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill this sacred cow Bureaucrats think I'm non-essential anyhow Since when has our culture Become so lowbrow It's all touchscreens and nobody has any know-how Your idea of fun Your idea of fun Is taking a thousand and one photos of your duck face Matters most to you What the celebrities most told you was cool Or a moral compass that points true north Oh true I'm gonna kill This sacred cow I'm gonna kill your sacred cow I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill 
Sacred cow.